Tito was screaming. How about it? All right, dudes. Here it is. This is a podcast, GearBuds Podcast, episode 103. My name is Henry. We've got Dave on the phone. Hey. Hi, Dave. And we also have a super special guest coming to us from presumably a couple miles away, also in Chicago, Kevin Tabus. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going, everybody? What's up, man? Thanks for coming. What's up? Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Oh, thank you for being on. It it is our pleasure indeed. Uh, For for our loyal listeners, you will have heard of Kevin a couple times. He's come up in the show uh, in the past at least uh, once or twice or maybe five times. We've talked about a a beautiful old SVT that that I came across, and that came from Kevin. And then also we've just, you know, figured out that we have a lot of mutual friends, and he has a studio called Uphill Recording here in Chicago. And I was just like, man, we got to get you on the show. So thank you so much for joining us and, and being with us today, man. Definitely. Thank you, guys. If you listen to the show, you know we're going to get into all of the stuff that Kevin does and has done and thinks, and you know he's going to be jumping in on stuff anyways. But before we do all that, we've got some segments and all that kind of crap that we get into, so let's just do it. Here's a symphony of corrections. Here is your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Thank you so much for being here and listening to this show and hanging out with us every week. Means the world to us. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Gearbuds Podcast and Facebook as well. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple and all of that stuff. Uh, let's see here. Um, Ooh, I've actually got a, I've, I've got an actual correction for the symphony of corrections this week, which is always exciting. Uh, we couldn't come up with, uh, the, the actual name of the Brian, Eno thing where he had those cards last week. Remember Dave, we were talking about like, Oh, like we're, we're talking about probability and such a cool idea injecting, uh, that sort of stuff in your music. It's called oblique strategies. We got close. We couldn't come up with the exact name, but <laughs> if you were interested, there's, I, I think the original was like a hundred cards. There are physical cards that you'd pull out, right. but you know, there's apps and it's been extended. And all if you weren't stuff. able to Google Brian Eno, random card things, it's right. called oblique strategies. We, we did it for you. Yeah. There it is. Uh, actually, you know what? I didn't Google it. I, I, I came across it incidentally just going about my life i was like oh yeah we should we should correct that in in the real in in the episode shouldn't we so there it is let's get right into it man bad fucking ideas um let's see here this one actually there are a couple that are sort of i would say ambiguous here uh one is um they i don't know if you saw this but unfortunately by the time this episode comes out this will be a moot point but i still had to bring it up but i don't know if you remember that um that incident where people got all up in arms about phoebe bridgers smashing a guitar yeah, on people uh, were because she actually didn't smash it. Yeah, she smashed it, but it was staged and just felt right. sort of cheesy. And and then you know, of course, sort of like toxic masculinity took it one way, and feminism took it another way. Either way, yeah. that guitar is currently for auction, <laughs> uh, which is I think is fucking rad because it's going to okay. um, uh, an organization for the gay and lesbian uh, support. Uh, it's like cool. the gay and les- lesbian anti. Discrimination Alliance, something like that. Uh, before the, we were recording here, I checked the current bidding and it was at sixteen thousand dollars. Can I say something? Which I was just like, "Fuck!" I yeah. saw the I saw the link. It actually looks no no offense to Dan Electro. It actually looks cooler smashed than it did in its full form. <laughs> does yeah, it dude. does it have the burn marks from the fireworks on it? <laughs> no, fireworks. it's uh. Oh, that'd be really cool. That I'm glad you guys noticed that. By the way, I thought I was the only one. I was like, "That was totally staged." But how, why yeah. would there be fireworks? Like, why would There's there no, ever be electricity shooting out of something like a speaker like that? I don't know. I was, was like, what kind of monitors could those be if it's shooting fireworks? Yeah. 
It was cute. <laughs> the kind that I, I need to get. I'm glad there's 21 bids. I'm I'm glad people um are gonna put some money towards a good cause. So that's awesome. yeah, me too. Definitely, yeah. that's awesome. So I I guess that's a, that's a GFI, but it, it's it came from a BFI perhaps. Yeah, so the, yeah. The, the, the world the world balances itself out. <laughs> right. uh, I you know I should have you know I I have the link on here, and this is another one that was sort of halfway there. Wasn't sure if it was GFI or BFI, and then I forgot to do more research before. But uh, there was there is a, currently an NFT for auction, I guess, uh, and it's in support of Save Our Stages, which okay. is cool. And and I saw it specifically for the I think it was for the Metro here in Chicago. But then again, like the more honestly, the the further and further I go down, and I know we talked about it several episodes ago, but the more and more that I learn about, the less and less I think NFTs are actually good ideas. So it just it I. It, the more, every time I read about someone else jumping on the bandwagon, like now Tom Brady started a company based around it, as did yeah. the man, like Peyton Manning, and now Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are competing to see who can be richer in this sports version of NFT Henry, space. Henry, I'd like to think that we take. I want to take a lot of credit as far as boosting yeah, the dude, NFT world. Tom I mean, Brady we were we were on the forefront from here. <laughs> we were on the forefront of NFTs because the the week after we uh, started talking about it, all I could hear about was NFTs on the you know on the local social platform and all those things so. yeah i mean it definitely was all me and so now you know every time i see it because you just i mean this the the environmental f- physical cost of the environment is just so fucking wild and, and and like it's just become this playground of obscenely wealthy people that now i'm just kind of sort of like every time i see it i get a little feel a little icky and gross about it um but you know that's i guess that's all new emerging uh platforms or technologies to some extent Whatever. Old man yells at Sky. Yeah, right. Here we are. <laughs> Shaking fist. Uh, if you want to do it, go buy the fucking Metro NFT. I, I don't care. Whatever. Uh, oh, this is exciting. Uh, this is a, a we got a little, little listener submission for the uh, for the BFI here, which I am always happy about. And this is another good friend of the show, Johnny O'Brien. What's up, Johnny? Uh, yeah, good old friend of mine. We've talked about him a lot of times. He, uh, I didn't, I missed this on the local Chicago Craigslist. We have an update uh, for the drama going the battle. on. With the uh, speaking of old man yelling to, at the sky, um, someone else took the time to make a post. Here's a, here's a subject line. Uh, Dave, give him a quick little update just in case pe- anybody's listening to this for the well, first time and doesn't know what's going on. Is here. this, I mean, I'm guessing this is in regards to the, Wurl- is, the Wurlitzer related, guitar. Yes. Yes, ad, exactly. You know, so, um, you know, look, it's been a back and forth drama. I don't know if, if you guys have been following. There's there's one one guy who posts his Wurlitzer guitar that's probably way too expensive. We'll all be honest. You know, I th- I think that's fair. Uh, there, there's someone that responds to it <laughs> in a very aggressive way, and he's really upset about this person selling this specific item for this price. And um, I'm not sure who this is. Is this the same guy who's well, here? Upset? Here's the thing. Let me it's add me. a little color to it Sorry. because. It's- <laughs> It's Kevin. Yeah. So, so, so there's there, but the, the, the funny, the thing that's super funny to me about it is that it's not just every week that they, they're like posting a new ad. They're just reposting right. their old ad. It's right. Right. Like, right. There's no new content. It's always the same stuff. We have a new challenger has entered the playing field. This person headline psychotic crybaby Wawa pedal. Look with the cues. I, I have to say, I like with the, the cues, cues instead of the, instead of the instead of the O's, and then they took the time to it's a it's a yellow just sort of like just a crybaby looking wah wah pedal, and then they wrote in like shitty Photoshop psychotic crybaby where the normal crybaby yeah. part goes. It's amazing, and then I'm gonna read I'm gonna read the body of okay. the of the posting Go to you it. here. This pedal is special made for the C list complainer. Ooh, shortening it to C list that's interesting. Uh, maybe it's Clist. I don't know. Uh, and wannabe gear Nazi 
he complains about a guitar repair ad. So to, to the, the guy who complains about the world to guitar also complains about this other guy out in the suburbs. I think I know like who that guy is. Actually. Yeah. Fuck that, that guy. I'm also, I'm <laughs> also super annoyed by that. He guy. posts really cool uh, guitars and then he's like, Oh, they're not actually for sale, but I'll fix your guitar for this price. If you can pull up to my driveway and wear a mask. I'm, and that's just not what the musical instruments listing is for. It's it, fine. Regardless, here we go. He complains about a guitar repair ad, which shows competent work performed. He complains about a guy with a Wurlitzer guitar. He complains about any gear he judges not worthy of being on here. Notice that we've all accepted that this is definitely a man doing this. He thinks he's sole judge of what should be posted on here. He's an <laughs> he's a nice shade of yellow, just like the pedal, See? which vaguely racist. He's caught him. Hides, no, I think he's caught him a yellow belly. Like, oh, uh, I know, you know he's but scared. You know, like I, but when things. you learn about what that what yell belly means, it's vaguely racist. Is that racist? Uh, I didn't hides know behind his computer and complains yet never responds. Sign of a true coward. No one wants to hear your crap. Put it in rants and raves with the other idiots. So okay, wait. So is there a section let's call rants and raves? Rants and raves. It's a new segment. It's a new sub sub segment. But no, wait. But is there a section of Craigslist called rants and raves? Because if there is, oh. how how have I no, have I not known about this? Is there? I mean, I haven't really been on Craigslist other than to search gear in right. a long time. So maybe yeah, I haven't been I haven't been trolling for strange on there in quite some time. <laughs> um, psychotic crybaby Wawa pedal. Look, the dude took the time. He made it yellow. A yellow by the way, I don't think baby. there is a yellow crybaby. Yeah, I he might have. He might have done it. I himself. think they photoshopped it because I don't think there is. So a yellow they did an excellent job photoshopping the yellow, but they did the crappiest job imaginable photoshopping the psychotic crybaby. Yeah, part. that like, looks really I, bad. I could draw it better than that. as a designer, Isn't there a red one? Looks- yes. Oh, there's the there's a red one. Well, that was the roto vibe. Oh. Uh, which was like a, a, a treadle-based rotary thing. If he Let's turned see, it from I'm, black oh, to yellow, I mean, that's pretty That's pretty amazing, you can buy, Dave, I'll say you can buy, like, from, you know, uh, I don't even know who makes them anymore because I Mammoth or somebody. There, yeah. You know, there are these these manufacturers that make. You can buy, like, yellow crybabies like that, or like oh, an enclosure okay. yourself, you know okay. what I mean? Like, you could, you could just buy that if you wanted to. They're okay. fucking expensive, but... Man, I don't know. Just thank you, Johnny, for sending this. I, there's nothing. I don't even know what to say about it. It's just so I'm just so I happy think, that Henry, I people think we, have the time to fight about this. We have a case of a third party coming in to defend At the least. person. He's going against the guy who's like freaking out about the other guy selling the Wurlitzer guitar. So I think that's great. You know, this is like, again, this is the uh, the environment. Just um, it's 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 resetting itself. It's all it's everything is becoming itself. Well, I just think it's nice. Uh, in some ways, it's nice to feel like I'm part of a community again, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just, like, part of this world of people that, like, there's like, probably, like, nine or ten of us uh, that care about this little drama that's happening <laughs> on the Craigslist it, musical instruments. And uh, I just wish that all of the participants would find their way over to this podcast and know how much time we've spent I mean, caring about it's it. It's become a seven-minute segment on our podcast, so I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, thanks for the content, boys. You yeah, know, I thank guess you. Keep it coming. It Don't stop, please. And uh, add to the drama. Oh, man. I love it. Finally, all right. Here, I've got one, I've got one more GFI okay. that I want to get into before. Uh, and this is just is just like purely, uh, I just want to talk about myself for a little bit. Like, because it's, it's, you know, that's what we do on here. So I've got a couple things that happened this past week. I just want to give some world updates uh, on that. First of all, 
got a sweet new chair. Posted about that on the internet oh, yeah. already. It's a, a rock and rolling sweet, chair. Rock and, rocking and rolling chair uh, it's a very old rocking chair but so at some point somebody like rehabbed it and put some wheels in the bottom it doesn't really slide but <laughs> it's the arms are so low on it it's because it's really old i can actually still play guitar on it which is fucking rad you know well, most ar- chairs with yeah. arms i just can't play like most computer uh, chairs yeah it's really tough to, exactly uh, yeah. yeah exactly class class up the joint a little bit you're just be prepared the reason i'm even bringing it up here is because be prepared it looks really nice to take pictures of guitars in front of that chair so there's just going to be a picture, a bunch of pictures of my guitars in front of that chair on our Instagram Great. for a while now. Uh, speaking of stuff that I got, uh, also thanks to Stingray, uh, we're going to bring him up a couple times, former guest and good friend of the show, uh, hooked me up with a fucking talk box. My first oh, one of those yeah. I've ever had in my life. I haven't talked about that on the show yet because uh, it it didn't come with the prerequisite six and a half feet or so of surgical tube. It's probably the, the uh, least COVID friendly uh, instrument you could buy at this point. The least COVID friendly. <laughs> yeah, you might as well. Yeah, he's my, here. Here's my used mask with it. Right. Uh, but um, it there. I I'll be honest. I took for granted the you know I uh, being of the age that I am like uh, there were there were things that came out after the talk box already so I never learned what the original talk box actually was and it turns out the technology is fucking wild uh, it's just a, it's just a speaker it's a speaker built into a box oh all that's all it is is a load I actually you, didn't know you that run you need a separate guitar amplifier to run to it. And I'm assuming it needs to be a tube amp to the, the talk box. And then you run the output from the talk box. It has essentially like a balanced DI out. You run that to a PA. So you need a separate guitar amp and PA just to use an original style of talk box. You know, of course, people have come up with different ones since then. Um, but if you want to feel like I do, or, um, I can't think of the Bon Jovi song off the top of my head. Uh, that's the only way to get there folks. And I am, I'm, I've looked into surgical tubing on eBay. I'm going to buy some. The problem is, is that I'm tall and six and the, and like the default length is six and a half feet. And I don't think that's going to be long enough. You'll have to use your purposes. new chair so you can sit down. I'm going to have to, <laughs> there it is. a seated talk box. <laughs> Holy shit. That is a, that is a big swinging, swinging move right there. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I've, I can't, there's no way I've ever seen someone, like Jerry Cantrell was not sitting down for his talk box moves. <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't it a STP? Um, Stone Temple Pilots. Was he, it STP? He was in a rocking chair during the uh, Unplugged performance. Oh, uh, right, right. Um, yeah. Scott Weiland. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Scott Weiland, yeah. right. Yeah, it's wow. really, man, that's a great performance if you guys haven't so, watched that in a while, so. I'll I'll definitely update the world once I get some some tubing to go with it, but I'm excited because I certainly have enough amps to make this happen. Oh, last thing, uh, I also want to thank Sting, uh, Stingray for this because he loaned me a pair of measurement microphones, which I do not own. Oh. so he he loaned me some Earthworks. They're TC thirty Ks, and they're um, small diaphragm. They're kind of like they sort of look like something you would imagine would have been in like a fucking like Kubrick movie in the sixties, like in like two thousand one, what they would have thought. Uh, microphones looked like they're like these weird long cylinder like pokey things at the end but anyways the reason that i borrowed them is because i downloaded SonarWorks uh sound id reference for anybody who doesn't know it's a sound correction or like a room correction tuning speaker software um and you use measurement microphones to actually like measure your room and the speakers and all kinds of crazy shit and oh my god it's i can't I, I still, I'm almost kind of upset at how good the software is. It, it makes, it, it upsets me because I now I have to go back and listen to stuff that I've done before. And it's like, oh shit, well, 
there's there's that problem like oh i didn't i didn't hear all that before right. and it's it turns out that things that i was fighting for a long time like one of the songs that i'm working on for my project droid smith that i talked about way too much last week there's a bunch of sibilance building up in the vocals on this one part and i just sibilance. like i could I, I don't know what the fuck to do i've tried everything that people normally do for these sorts of things anyways then i actually listened to the mix once i had Sonarworks turned on and it's gone. Like the problem isn't there. It turns wow. out it was really just so like no sitting kidding. in my room. How does that's that work? A, that's a touch and like, tips, man. Yeah. How does that work though? I mean, like you set that thing up and, yeah. and so like do you have to mix out of Pro Tools so it, it like corrects your I don't mean how does it correct the speakers or does it correct Yeah. You know what I mean? Like cause I mix on a console yeah, totally. all the time. So like it wouldn't really work with that, would it? Right. So the yeah, well, if if you're if you're if you've got an analog setup, you would have to of course get a digital path through there somehow. And and I would I would imagine most people probably do that at the end of their Pro Tools session. So there's oh. a couple ways you can have it set it up. Like I have it set up so that there's like a system-wide implementation where all you can have it so that the plugin runs essentially like any system level software where you can turn it on or off and all the audio that you're hearing through it you can turn on or off and then there's all sorts of adjustments. You can also run it, you can instate it as a plugin in any DAW and then, and then sort of use it that way, you know, on your like master fader or right. whatever okay. um, to hear it there. So there, yeah, I, I, I don't have the luxury of your, of your beautiful Neotech that you have. So I've, I've been all in the box with this so far, but it's really cool. Cause it, I mean, you really, in fact, it was kind of, it, it's a very, it took me longer than I thought it was going to. It's probably at least like a half hour process of moving the microphone all around and doing, you know, if you've ever, ever done any sort of like room modeling or any of that kind of stuff, it does a lot of chirps and weird alien fucking sounds. It's a lot of that for a while. So also if you're doing it in an environment where um, other people can hear you, just like warn them that for a half hour, it's going to sound like there's a weird war zone going on in, in a room nearby. <laughs> Um, but the other cool thing is that it has it already has plugins for like pretty much every major uh, model of headphone you can imagine so like my hd 680s that i'm using right now it already had the curve built in for that and it's and it's interesting you know these are these are marketed as flat reference headphones right like that's kind of how they sell these things and then you hear them with this eq compensation and stuff that they that they've built in their software and it's like whoa there are some there are definitely still some hypes going on like there's a lot of extra bass and bottom end in these headphones than there are in real life for instance so I know I've been sort of monologuing about this software that um, they're not like sponsoring us or anything for a while, but it is truly blowing my mind at how much it's improved my listening in my room. And That's also, awesome. I, and this is kind of fucked up too. I was having phase issues, but uh, like, um, you can see the, what the, the frequency response looks like for both speakers. And then it, you do all these sorts of measurements and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then it shows you what the phase response looks like and it, on the frequency chart. And I am having, without this, software running i was having some pretty serious phase issues from about like 120 down up to like 250 uh hertz and you know that's a, that's always like a very troubling problematic area to try to get stuff to sit right anyways and it turns out i was having weird phase cancellation anyway so yeah that alone has been worth the, just the 250 dollar you know price of the software for me anyways hmm. interesting that yeah. sounds like a pretty cool and, program it's pretty cool, and it's been recommended to me by a lot of top flight engineers. And they have a 21 day free trial. Download that shit. Nice. I was like, oh, I'll I'll just use it for 21 days and see what happens. And within two days, I was like, well, I I know that I'm gonna need this forever now, so I'm just gonna buy the stupid shit because here it is. But, okay. Um, 
check it out. Sonar works. If you, especially for all those of us that don't have, I mean, everybody has r- issues with their rooms, but I am not in a, in a tuned room. I'm just, I've done the best that I can with the space that I'm in. And it has made a definite difference for a, a very poor sounding room that I'm in right now. All right, boys, that's enough of that. Let's get to my two favorite words that I get to say every single week. Those two words are Dave's Ducks. <laughs> I know what I was thinking of last week. I think I was like, what does that sound like? It's Captain Caveman. Remember Captain yeah. Caveman? I love it. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah, I, I don't know, dude. I just, I just, I just let it fly. It's my favorite. Um, so, you know, every week, you know, we bounce around. We go, I think last week we did the Billie Eilish doc, which I thought was amazing. Um, I was texting um, our good yeah. friend Mark about it back and forth. Prom- prompted some listener response. On yeah, that we got doc. listener response, got feedback, you know, and that's great. Uh, this week went a little different direction. I, I actually, so I've been, I've been on the hunt. I think I read an article about Guns N' Roses recently, and I was like, there is no official Guns N' Roses documentary. And the problem is there's so much spotty history behind that band. Um, I think they were so fucked up, let's be honest. And like, you know, there were fights of who was fired or who was who quit, you know, those types of things. And um, how much drugs were going on. I found a documentary called Dustin Bones. It's a fan made documentary on YouTube, but it has 600,000 watches. So I'm like, wow, well, I'm, I'm definitely going to check this out. And it's primarily about Izzy Stradlin. So it's from his point of view. Um, there's a lot of phone interview of him, you know, telling the stories. And he was, <laughs> Izzy, Izzy must have been the only dude he could get to respond. Well, like, yeah, who, for sure. Like, and he, he like hit up everybody in the band. Izzy's he, like, fuck it. All right. Exactly. And he also got sober in like 1989. So he was like, all right, I'm definitely. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, we, all right, we partied for like four straight years, five straight years. You know, we're going to. I'm going to, I'm going to sober up and like, see what's actually going on. And that's, you know, ultimately what led him to leave that band. So I found a, um, a documentary on YouTube called Dustin Bones, the story so far. And it's about, uh, Izzy Stradlin and it's his kind of perspective on Guns N' Roses and Dude, his Dave, solo you're, projects. You're digging deep, man. You're fucking, you're yeah. going, you're going to the YouTube. By the way, oh, I do that sometimes. And you know, there's actually some decent documentaries on YouTube, man. It's, um, oh, I agree. For I sure. would say between that and Amazon, I mean, Amazon has way shittier documentaries than YouTube. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like they really well, yeah, I mean, Amazon really is. You can just upload whatever, and then people think that it's a real movie. Or they pull like, it down just... because they're like, oh, we, we can't license this. We have to pull it down. Yeah, right. YouTube is like, dude, this had interviews. This had um, you know music, all the, all the stuff that I love in a good doc. Um, I, there's a lot any, of cool Any good stories? Th- yeah, a lot of cool things about Izzy, man. Um, you know, I didn't know that him and Axel grew up in Lafayette, Indiana, and they moved to L.A. together. So the start of Guns N' Roses was because of those two guys moving to L.A., which I thought was pretty cool. And then and then meeting the the L.A. Guns, right? Wasn't that the thing? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So the L.A. Guns. So there was it's it's pretty confusing, actually. (laughs) And the the history is spotty again. Um, Axl Rose formed a band called Axl. His name wasn't really Axl. I think his name's like Bill, Bill Bailey or something like that. No joke. Sick. Um, they started a band called Axel, AXL, and then he's like, all right, fuck this name. We're going to start another band called The Rose. And then The Rose was another band that already existed. 
So then they were, it was kind of a spinal tap situation. You know, they're like, we were, we were the originals. And then there was already a band called the Originals. We were the new Originals, you know. So How many they, drummers did they have? Exactly. <laughs> Only one, surprisingly. Oh, uh, Steven Adler. Yeah. yeah, man. Adler ruled, man. Um, but anyways, it was kind of a cool perspective because everybody gives Slash all this, you know, credit as far as being like the Guns N' Roses guitar player. Um, Izzy was definitely like the main songwriter and kind of the Keith Richards you know, of the band, um, I guess you could you could say that was his. Style. Well, when when is when is he tells a story? I'm sure that he's the Keith Richards of the band, right? right? And you know, um, but that was kind of the Keith Keith Richards thing. You know, they would have Mick Taylor play the solos and be kind of like the yeah, the truth. solo guy, and he's like, I'm the songwriter, you know, rhythm guy. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, there was just uh, they were a, they were a dangerous version of Motley Crue. You know, the hair metal was on the way out when those guys came up. And uh, I will say this, man, this is something I didn't know. So because this is a fan video, they took a bunch of like YouTube clips and concert clips and the guy kind of narrated over it. Or there was, um, you know, like like phone calls and like that type of narration over the video. There's a Pensado's place where they had Mike Klink who recorded and produced Appetite for Destruction mm-hmm. on Pensado's place. So nice. that would definitely be an episode to check out because you got to go back. About, and ch- there, there's a chance I might have even like. Oh, I'm sure you've probably watched the background yeah, at some dude. point. Yeah. Um. So definitely watch the Pensados place, Mike. Nice. Because they calling played, it back. I mean, that was a shit, dude. What was that? Was like 70 episodes ago, right? Yeah. When we talked to Dave Pensado, yeah, the legend. Right, yeah. Yeah. The that legend. was in December of like t- 2019 or something like that. So it was a long oh. time ago. But um. Anyways, yeah. Mike Clank recorded and produced Appetite for Destruction. I, I think. Personally, you know, from an engineering perspective, that's one of the greatest recorded records ever. Like, it just sounds so. Oh, perfect. it sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, like when you use. That There's a- so much. There is so much lore around the specific Les Paul that wasn't a real Les Paul that Slash used, and right. and the and the Marshall that was modded or maybe not modded, right. or in now Marshall's reissued. It's just there's there. I mean, people have have really tweezed that to that record apart really for a good reason because it sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know what's really interesting? I didn't know this. Uh, that record, when it came out, you know it only sold 200,000 records? They actually, it actually huh. flopped. And they... Um, it's they, wild that that's considered a flop now. Yeah, it was... It, no, it, yeah. well, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> could, could somebody sell my band's record for 200,000? Or yeah, any band's good. record? Yeah, right. Um, but it did flop, and that was 200,000. So they were like, you know, the, they were, I think they were signed with Geffen Records. And they're like, this isn't working out. You know, let's let's do something about this. And they had an A&R guy that was like, let's release this on MTV. We have to release Welcome to the Jungle video. And we've all seen the video, right? Where like uh, Axel's in the electric chair and all that stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, they released it at four in the morning on MTV. That video came out and it blew up the entire fucking thing, dude. And then it was, you know, Sweet Child of Mine after that. So, you know, basically that was kind of the uh, the whole thing to it. I thought that album was an instant hit because they had gained a lot of local popularity, you know, around the scene. Well, and didn't the they scene. didn't they tour on that record for like three years straight yeah, or something crazy? Absolutely. Yeah. They they had the songs already. I think they had EPs before they released Appetite for Destruction, but you know, the point being they they re-recorded the whole thing is to what you hear today is Appetite for Destruction. And yeah, it didn't do that well. And then it sold, then it went like five times platinum or whatever. Dude, all right. Well, I gotta ask. I mean, we haven't even gotten there yet. But um, <clears throat> what about your boy Duff? Is there any sweet, uh, any any sweet bass spotting? Yeah, I mean Duff. You know, he played the signature. Um, 
you know, the 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 precision special, which I had one mm-hmm. of those for a while. That's a fantastic, yeah. fantastic instrument. Those are cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he has his own documentary out, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to cross over too much with that because I have watched the. Oh, I'm trying to think in the name of it. It's the Duff McKagan. He's like it's like an acoustic kind of like a storyteller's type thing. Have okay. you seen that before? No. I th- I and think he I sits saw it. on was a, it on Amazon. Yeah, I think it was on Amazon. It's been all over. I think it came out in like 2016 or something. And he's telling stories while the band behind him, who's not Guns N' Roses, is definitely like <laughs> playing their songs and kind of like an acoustic version of their stuff. Really interesting. Um, but yeah, Duff's in there. You know, Duff and Slash were like the two like junkies of the band. So when he cleaned up, I think even Axel was like pretty much clean. That's kind of the reason he left that whole thing. So Wembley was the last gig he ever did with those guys. Back in like ninety one. That was it. Yeah, and they were recording "Use Your Illusion," and um, it's 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 the documentary was really well done. I I have a hard time with documentaries that don't uh, focus on a timeline. Like when you're like when you jump around from nineteen ninety three and then you sure. go back to nineteen ninety and you're like, oh, this footage is way older, but we're already caught up. It, that's a hard thing with docs. Um, people need to get that straight for sure. Um, and now I will wrap oh. it up. You know, uh, nineteen ninety two, we started the Juju Hounds. Which was his like kind of, <laughs> kind of a of black. Of course, Crows, that's the name of the band. Black Crows, kind of early '90s dad rock. Um, you know, a little bit of reggae influence band. Recorded maybe, maybe some songs in open E. Recorded in Chicago, by the way. Uh, they they moved to Chicago to record. Where he at, says did they say he says CRC, but then he says uh, I think it was called the Chicago Rehearsal Company because he says they rehearsed there. It was very confusing because I'm like, well, that's the Chicago Recording Company. Right. Everybody knows that. Um, but yeah, I, I think their, you know, recollection of the, the time was probably a little tougher too. Um, but yeah, it was very Tom Petty ish kind of black crows kind of, you know, dad Rocky. And that was cool. And then they went, they did one gig in Chicago. They went straight to Europe and they toured out there and they had an option to open. Were they called the juju bees? The juju hounds. And you can oh, find it. even worse. I haven't even looked it up on Spotify. <laughs> I, I have a visceral hatred of, for that band name. I have to oh, be J-U-J-U-J-U-J-U Hounds, which oh, is just man. like, ah, oh, it's just so phoned in. I just, I hate it. But, you know. It's like, th- hey, I'm going to go find my, like, little nephew. Hey, hey, what nephew, what's the first band name that comes to your head? He's like, the Juju Hounds. Right. And that's what you name your band. And then you were right, man. It's like opening, like, you can already see it in your in your mind. Yeah. So they turned down an option to open for John Bon Jovi. Because John Bon Jovi, of course, of all people, was like, I like. Dude, how much of this documentary did they fucking focus on the Juju Bees? Luckily, only like 25% of it, like towards the end. Thank God. 25%? I would have absolutely turned it off by then. There's no chance I'm watching Bro, that. I wanted to, but this is Dave's docs, dude. And I got to follow through. <laughs> I got to commit. Wait, wait. I'm committed, dude. man. I mean, what All right. I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to call you out here. No, but no, there no. Have at least been, there have been a couple doc, Dave's docs where you're like, oh yeah, I only watched like a quarter of it and I'm yeah. going to finish it. Yeah. Well, I was really interested to see Busted. what happened. I remember there was like a, a really long Elvis one. There was a really long Sinatra. Oh, one dude, the Elvis one is like four hours long. I mean, that's you know that's madness. Which I think you I'm going to go gotta back. Watch, and, and you've got to watch the full like twelve hour Grateful Dead one for us, dude. Oh. I've I've watched it. It's fantastic, and I'm going to bring it back. That's going to be a special episode for sure. Perfect. Um, I cannot wait. Anyways, to fall asleep during I, I did. That. I want to say this one last thing. They were they were yes. optioned to open for John Bon Jovi. Right. Izzy himself said no 
I'm sure the other band was like, you know, the other band members were like, what the fuck, dude? Like, we're getting yeah. our chance to like... You asshole. Yeah, you asshole. He's like, no, I've been there, man. I've done that, you know? Like, I want to play clubs. He played. He wanted to tour and play small clubs because he was so tired of like arenas and that stuff. Rejoined GNR in 92, I think it was. So this is all happening within like a few months. This, that's mm-hmm. the crazy thing about this. Did rejo- break up, rejoins GNR. Didn't, didn't technically break up, but like rejoined GNR... Uh, to go to Europe because he's like, oh, I've never been to like Denmark, so I'll go check that out. You know, um, shout out tour. Yeah, so he did that, and then he was also like, you guys owe me a shitload of money. If you pay me this money, I'll come tour with you guys. Because I think something happened with like the other guitar player broke his hand or something weird like that. Anyways, uh, a bunch of solo projects. I, I did trail off. It, I have here. Yeah, what notes. the fuck are you talking about, dude? I don't even know where you are right now. <laughs> he's in. I Denmark. don't know. Where, they went to Denmark. They came back. He did some solo projects. That was where I actually did turn the documentary <laughs> off. There was still like 45 minutes left. I'm like, I'm over it. So, 45 minutes? Holy yeah, dude. Shit. I, I was like, I just want to know about GNR. I want a good GNR documentary. Is it that is it that much to ask? All right, I, dude. Give me I a give ranking. It, give, me, give, me, give, me some, give me some arbitrary ranking scores. Arbitrary here. ranking score, six out of 10 newsy hats. Thank God. I was going to suggest a hat. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Good man. Job. He pulled off that Newsy hat like <laughs> nobody else, dude. And it's like a big, it's like a big Newsy hat, right? It's, it's like sort of yeah, like it's oversized. Yeah, it's the oversized with the, you know, he had the Keith Richards look. He had the vest and like the puffy shirt and all that. So hey, how, cool. does, how does someone, how does someone acquire their first oversized Newsy hat? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like after a while I get it like, okay, that's become your thing. But like at a certain point you have to decide to become the sort of person that wears a hat like that all the time well, or, think, or someone gives you one i mean slash when did slash really start wearing like the top hat because he never right, i don't know i don't think i mean of, of all the footage i saw from them playing i don't think slash had that top hat on until like the 90s i so, don't know dude it might have been a latter latter day thing i'm not sure so maybe they were like let's get let's get crazy hats but this guy was already he was on the forefront let's get crazy hats. he was on the forefront of wearing a cool hat <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right well you know what i'm not gonna watch that i i think you told me every single thing that i need to know about that <clears throat> just in case people want to watch it Stradlin it's called dustin dustin bones the story so far izzy stradlin documentary on youtube it's a fan-made Boom. doc check it out got it fan-made not, not right. into those fan-made docs like there was that acdc me one on me. amazon that was yep. I, I turned it off after watched five it. minutes watched yeah, it so. yeah dude it was rough um yeah Yeah, I can't imagine watching a whole documentary about a band and then not hearing that band's actual music. Yeah, it's just that lame music in the background. (laughs) What am I watching? I know. That's why the Amazon ones suck. Like, I will say for this YouTube one, they definitely had their music in the background. They had live footage. Oh, wow. It hasn't hasn't been rights stricken yet. It wasn't wasn't authorized, quote unquote, but I will say that it was, they just didn't give a shit. It was like it was just like the Guitar Hero like re-recordings of the songs that like sort of uh, sound like them, but then if you listen real close, maybe it's it's like it's just like a different dude playing solos. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. But, well, good days, Doc Buddy. I mean, you we, know, they hey, can't we all try, be winners, man. Right? They can't all be winners, you know. That's true. <laughs> there we go. Let's do this. All right. This is where we stop talking so much and, and we get in a little more with Kevin here. And the, and the way we like to start doing that is with the segment we call a couple two tree randos where. We ask our guests a couple two true random questions, so let's just dive in. Kevin, if you could swap places with any band member of any band, past or present, living or dead, doesn't matter your talent or theirs, who would that be and why? Isn't that the, that is just the toughest question. You think how cool it would be to be like in Motley Crue back in the day, like partying, right. hanging out and doing all that, but 
Uh, I'm going to bring it back to uh, Dave's docs. Probably Carol Kay, I would I would think. Or maybe even Mark would, Mothersbaugh. Oh, wow. You Mark Mothersbaugh might be a cool one. Wow. Mark Mothersbaugh. That's yeah. a, that, those are both really interesting because you can just imagine the, the breadth of work that you get to be a part of and experience. I mean, I'd say Carol Kay maybe a little more so than Mark Mothersbaugh, but he's done so much in the film. So much cool stuff. Scoring yeah. world. Yeah, all those Wes Anderson movies and all that. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, probably Carol wow, Kay, though, I would ones. think. I don't know. As much as it would be cool to be part of all those, like, rock and roll, you know, be Lemmy, you know, obviously, but or, like, you know, anything like in Molly Crew or those hair metal days, it, it sounds like a wild ride. But It does sound like a wild I th- ride. I think, like, uh, it would be pretty cool to be Carol Kay. Think of all those, I mean, countless hits, you know? Yeah, I, I, we, yeah. we can go back. Dave, Dave, which episode was it where that was the doc? How I think long it was, I like, two, two or three episodes ago. Um, yeah. After I mean, this one, she go is, back and listen to that. She is literally, like, to me, one of the most influential and um, unrecognized players of all time. She's know? just I so mean, fucking and, cool. And, yeah. And to your point, Dave, it wasn't, I mean, yeah, she's known as this, the best bass player, what maybe ever one of. And but she's a guitar player. She played guitar. She played guitar on a bunch of hits too, which is the cool shit. Best like the, the guitar yeah. riff in La Bamba, right? She was, yeah. Well, yeah, which is power chords, but she, uh, she did play, she was a guitar player before. And the only reason she played bass, cause she showed up one day and the guy was like, Hey, the bass player is not showing up. Uh, do you want to play bass today? And she's like, okay. And then she was like, that's pretty cool. And they just hired her on, man. And she was right there with, you know, behind, you know, uh, actually in front of James Jamerson, really, uh, in a lot of lines. Wild. There's actually a lot of controversy of whether her or James played on certain lines. And it's yep. it's undocumented. So it's really interesting. Well, and they would do the thing with, like, they would double up bass players uh, sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. a high, they would have a high bass and a low bass sometimes, which is Yeah, the tic-tac cool. method. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep this train rolling here. Kevin, if you could have a signature guitar made for you, who's making it? And and what's the one feature that sort of sets it apart from either like the stock guitar or, you know, the standard version of that guitar? Jeez, I don't, I, hmm. Probably like a er, like a late 50s, early 60s kind of, uh, probably a Gibson ES330. I, I have a 1961 Ooh, ES330 that I love. Fully hollow. Yeah, and I love P90s. That's I, I can't mm-hmm. play humbuckers or single coil. I just, the, something about a P90 has that sound that I'm always looking. Because I, I don't like to use pedals that much. I like to mm-hmm. plug straight into a basement. So probably, yeah. probably something like that. Like a 330 would be cool with Did like a little bit fatter Gibson? neck. Gibson actually just put out a, a Slim Harpo signature 330. Oh, really? Um, like, you know, old blues man. But yeah, yeah I, I'm pretty sure it was just P90s. Yeah, should, uh, that's interesting. Interesting timing on that one. Man, that's such a, that is such an unheralded instrument. I, and I don't think, I think most people look at it who aren't like Gibson weirdos and be like, oh, it's a 335 with P90s, which, which would be cool. But it's not. It's actually fully hollow, not, you know, it doesn't have the, the center block of maple like a, a yeah. standard 335 I, yeah. would. I have a 335 as well, and the 335 yeah. kind of plays a lot more like a Les Paul. It's like pretty unforgiving. Yeah. It's tight tension. Totally. It's loud. It's powerful. And there's just something cool, more rock and roll, I think, about the 330. It's just it's a cooler sound, I think. I don't know. I dig it. And the 330 is, I mean, of course, you know, we're getting into ridiculous luxury territory if you're talking about a 61. But I, and my, for my money, almost no better couch guitar I, than a 330. Oh, yeah. I, you know, it, it's, it was a lot. I'll just I'll be honest. It was twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> like that's holy. That's really shit. cheap. Really steal. fucking cheap. Yeah. yeah but wow. it was a lot of you know. Um, it was a funny story how 
I don't really want to say the band, but uh, someone came in, a pretty famous musician, came into Midwest Buy and Sell, you know, on um, Irving. Love Midwest Buy and Sell. Yeah, yeah. And I actually play in a band with Rich. I don't know if you guys know Rich Hay, that he was the tall. Yeah, yeah, he's a cool dude. But um, anyways, he called me. He's like, you have to get here. The 330's here. I was like, no way. And I ran down. And Wayne's doing his thing, you know, oh, man, this guy really, you know, screwed me on this. I can let it go for 1200 I was like, cool, here's 1200 bucks. See you. <laughs> I, just, I, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Couldn't get the money yeah, out, no of my, out of my pocket fast enough because that's just, that was like my dream guitar, you know? Oh, wow. That is, yeah, those, those, those sorts of deals, you, almost at this point, it's like that. You got to kind of know, have to know, know somebody. somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Holy shit. That is, that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. All right. Well, let's make you a signature 330. Let's do it. Sounds um, good. Gibson, go ahead. Get on it. <laughs> if you could, if you could take a lesson from anyone living or dead, who would that be? Oof, maybe, uh, probably George Harrison, maybe, or Pete Townsend. I can't, giving you Pete Townsend. Yeah. Pete Townsend just had the coolest. I mean, he never really played like straight chords. There's all these kind of, I don't know if you ever look at the tabs or the, I think there's a website called the who tabs Mm -hmm. and you can look at all the stuff that he plays and it's just never like a standard position that he plays in. And I just thought it was was pretty interesting. Like triads up the neck because, and actually I was reminded, I was looking back at, um, I don't know if I think it might've been on your Instagram before the show. And he meant there was a, you had like a John Entwistle appreciation post and you referred to him as Thunderfingers. And I totally forgot about that nickname, which I'm just like, that is the greatest nickname of all time. But to your point, because he had Thunderfingers playing essentially like the coolest guitar parts ever underneath, he just did all the, like the high up interesting noodly stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, they're probably one of my favorite bands ever. Everything that they did yeah. was just so badass. You know, like w- during the verses, everything would get powerful and big. You know, it's like it was almost like that loud, loud quiet, loud thing. I think they were the early on, you know, the, yeah. one of the first bands to do that, really. It was just cool stuff, you know. But you would hear, uh, um, what's it, Keith Moon playing like huge fills during the verse. Like, what, well, <laughs> aren't you supposed to do that? <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and never a hi hat ever. No, no, that was yeah. They're too he quiet. Loved his actually, How, yeah, how's absolutely. a hi hat too? I don't know. It's funny. He says that they're too quiet. That's why I didn't use them. But I, it's like <laughs> the, the opposite. They're the loudest in the fucking studio. thing on yeah. every drum kit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Good luck hi-hat. getting rid of hi hat. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah. hi hat is right, dude. I, you know, be, I, my, oh, go ahead. I I will say I'm just gonna say one of my least favorite sounds on earth is an open hi hat. Like, really? I fucking hate just like like full wide open hi hat. I cannot stand. I when I'm playing drums, which I do a lot, I have my clutch set up so that when it's open, it's like it's still just doing that like sizzle. Yeah, it's yeah. like closed and does like a little sizzle. I fucking hate the sound of open hi hat. That's funny. There it is. Man. Putting it putting it on record. Wow. There is a band I recorded that the the drummer was really heavy handed with his hi hat, and I could not get it out of the mix mm. for anything. They ordered a pizza and I took the pizza box and I cut out like basically a pizza slice and wrapped it around the hi-hats to get rid of all the sizzle and bleed and stuff. You know, it was, uh, you know what I'm talking about? You take That's the pizza. That's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly <laughs> what you did. Building like a little barrier around uh, the hi-hats. That wow. drummer was, yeah. uh, he was not very happy with me. But then in the end, when the recording was done, he was like, oh, actually it's sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's the thing that you learn when you start recording other players. It's like the good drummers mix themselves. Yeah. When, when you, well, they play when, the like drums, you, not the high, not the cymbals. The <laughs> they play the drums, not the cymbals. Hit the drums hard. Hit the cymbals light. If you, if anybody takes anything away from this episode, please let it be that. Uh-huh. Hit the drums hard. Hit the cymbals light. There it yeah. is. Or you're gonna have a pizza box, a piece of grease in your face. <laughs> that's just how it's gonna go. And it was just like a little perfect triangle cutout, so he can hit the hi hat. It was pretty funny. 
That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, here we go. This question comes from Tor Monson, uh on a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't listened to that one, you've got a lot of homework to do. Go listen to that after this one. But um, anyways, he asked a question uh, that he would like to know. What made you pick up your first instrument? Oh, man, probably my uncle, you know, as I grew up with my uncles, we all lived in my grandparents' house. And I just always thought he was so cool. You know, he'd come home in a bandana and he had this guitar he didn't know how to play. And I thought he did because I was a little <laughs> kid. And um, and he would put on like ACDC records and stuff. And I just thought he was so fucking cool, man. And I was like, man, I got to yeah. be like him. But wow. I don't know. That, so that's probably a, it. So you got a guitar? Yeah, well, he did, gave me did you, his Did guitar. you pick up his guitar? Oh, you yeah. Did. He gave it to me. It was a, I think it was a Hondo like Strat copy or something. Something uh-huh. crappy like that. I don't remember exactly the brand. But that and, um, and a, a little acoustic amp. And and yeah, and then I got a distortion pedal and just that I thought it. it was so cool. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I take it by the way you're, <clears throat> you're talking about it, you don't, you don't, you no longer have said Hondo. No, no, no. That went away pretty quick because like um, that was probably about uh, the late '80s, and uh, yeah, I don't. I found you know I started like you know hanging out with other musician kid or kids that were playing guitar and all that kind of stuff and yeah. watching a lot of Guns N' Roses on MTV and I was like well it's time I got to step it up and You're get like, something I cool. got to get myself I got to get myself an oversized uh, pork pie hat or whatever the fuck yeah, those things yeah. are called <laughs> I, I had to get myself a nice crate with built-in distortion and you know what was that art what was it called the RP1 or something that uh Digitech, the art MP1 yeah it was oh, a Digitech, Digitech. yeah or what, oh, I can't dude, remember what wow. it was called. And then an Ibanez, like an RG450, I think. I saved up all my money for a couple of years of doing chores oh, yeah. and working. I've got an RG470 sitting in the other room right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Those were cool yeah. guitars. Was it, yeah, is it the sanded neck on the back? Is it real smooth and nice and nice thin neck? <sighs> It's a. It's definitely got that thin wizard neck. So this guitar, honestly, I can't even remember. It was. It was a gift to me from an old bandmate uh, who had it, and then he moved to San Francisco and couldn't take it with him. Basically, like a long time ago, and I've just haven't had, because of that. Because he was such a good old friend, uh, you know. If it was anybody else's guitar, I would have sold that fucking thing like fifteen years ago. But because it's his, I just like tote around this guitar with the Floyd Rose that I will never use or play. To answer your question, I don't know, man. Maybe it has a sandoff <laughs> neck. I don't fucking. I don't fucking play the thing. It's got a Floyd Rose on it. Uh-huh. Um, well, there you go. Hey, uh, before we leave this really fast, I've uh, got one more question, and that is, <clears throat> what question should we ask our next guest? Um, you know, the one thing I wonder about a lot of people is, like, as I know, like, how I felt about, like, going through the whole pandemic and, like, what I've kind of learned about myself and something positive I was able to take out of it. Is that I, think, mm. I think I would ask, what, 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 what did you learn about yourself and what did you gain, po- like something positive out of this whole uh, pandemic, everything that's been going on for the last year and a quarter? Wow. Nice, I mean, man. Keep yeah. some positive vibes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I, I feel like that's a, I, I kind of want to know, Dave, do you have, do you have, have you, is there something positive you, that you've sort of gained or, or learned about yourself during this? Um, yeah, I have, man. I mean, I, I definitely think um, I've, in a weird way, like forced myself to work on stuff you know, by myself, you know, uh, whether hmm. it's just set up a simple drum beat and, um, lay down some chords, oh, sure. okay, yeah. you know, um, cause you know, you're not going to see your guys, you know, for a few weeks or a few months or whatever. So, you know, uh, for me, it's been self-sufficiency. Yeah, exactly. And seeing if you can kind of still create something by yourself. You know, I, I work with amazing musicians in my band and we haven't been able to get together as often. So it's been one of those things where, you know, it, 
do they write the songs? Do I write the songs? What is this, what is this new project called? You know, uh, you know, it's just me, you know, by myself. The Dave Veller ukulele uh, explosion. Ukulele explosion. Uh, <laughs> ukulele uh, through V4B and uh, a lot of distortion. But Henry, I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask you, Henry. What do, What do you think about that? Oh, I will. I'll answer because I just want to say before. I just want to give you a compliment and say that I've noticed that you've you've kind of uh, developed some more confidence in that regard. And so Thank I you. want to give you kudos for that because it, yeah, you you know you've you've kind of you're a great bass player, singer, songwriter, all this stuff. But I've you know I've seen you kind of develop some confidence in recording and mixing things that you hadn't been yeah, you know, I mean, open to doing before. Yeah, so we that's cool the, to see. I'm, I'm we, stoked that you did thank that. Thank you, man. Yeah. Like, uh, again, I guess to branch off of that. Yeah. We bought the, uh, the focus, right. Eight track, you know, which was that's a right, huge yeah. addition. You know, I'm, I'm able to like, I'm trying to record drums now. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I, I I'm like, all right, if it sounds good and you, you're not peaking levels, I guess that's all we really need to, to start with. <laughs> right. so, yeah. That's the best thing know? about recording. There's no rules. There is no way that's, to record yeah, drums, and, and, you know? I feel that way, man, and I, and I I don't I hope I'm not doing like a disservice to people who are like, oh, you're not, you know, you're not scooping this uh, the mids enough or something. But, <laughs> but that's a whole other side tangent, I suppose. But um, Dude, yeah, no, don't worry, I'll I'll judge the shit out of every mix you ever send me. But also, I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. gl- I'm glad that I'm glad that you're doing it, man. It's a good it's a good thing, and you're only going to get better at it and more Thank confident. You, uh, Thank you. Because I'm still shitty, and I do it all the time too. Oh, dude, you've I mean, well, let's talk about your situation for a second. I mean, you've. You've expanded immensely through this whole thing. I mean, if we can talk about I guess about that the, that the, is true. I did, studio I did move into I did move into a studio. Uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. That all feels like a natural progression of like just where I'd been. It was going gonna happen either way. Anyways. Right? Yeah, I don't really see that necessarily. Maybe it was. It's interesting. I, I hadn't really seen that as like a a direct outcome of pandemic stuff, but I guess it kind of has been. Although I will say also, like, you know, we moved in in February and then didn't go back in for months so like that there was kind of like a halt there Mm -hmm. um i will say yeah there's there's been some elements of trusting myself i would say i really truly though to answer your your, like the the original thought of like sort of something positive that's come out of this really for me it's been my health 100 that's been like the the main thing for me not to like harp on it too much but yeah i just like physical or mental or both or what I had been, I I started. I I feel like I'd already done a good job of of going down the path of of taking care of my mental health like a bit earlier than that. Mm. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't until later in my sort of like journey that we're talking about here that I realized how related those two things are also. Big time. Um, but really, the main thing that it's so crazy to me. It's really just I took on the task. I. I stopped counting at a certain point, but at from the beginning of lockdown, you know, for like at least probably like a year of it, I probably only ate like 20 meals that I didn't cook myself. So like really it was just a matter of, of, of like, I'm going to control what I put in myself. And I also, I stopped drinking like not, I wasn't really much of a drinker to begin with, honestly, but it was like part of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, just feeling physically better. Like I've, I'm, I'm in control of that has led to things feeling better mentally as well. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to tell anybody else what to do with their life lives or anything like that, but I will say that deciding to just like cook everything that I eat and stop eating processed shit mm-hmm. was the best decision I've probably ever made in my life. I Absolutely. just, I feel so much happier and better. And like, I, now that I finally get to like go back out in the world again, it, I just get to, you know, reap those rewards when people are like, Hey, you look nice. And it's like, yeah, it feels nice to be told that you look nice. So, you know, there's, it's this like little cycle that happens. It's cause you're getting older. That's why you look nice. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the fucking, we oh, get, uh, the salt and pepper. We get better back. looking as we get older. I mean, that's true. The gray, the gray <laughs> is happening in my hair. Well, you asked such a good, qu- good question. 
Kevin, I'm curious what what your answer uh, would be. What's something positive that you've been able to take out of all this bullshit? Man, I think it's it's uh it's a lot of uh, just uh, well, you know I had a thought and I just uh, I spaced. That's all right. Uh, we no, have no, these I'm just things. kidding. No, I think it's uh, uh, like patience and stuff like that, and actually, like communication is a huge thing, because like you know, I was trapped, not trapped in a house, you know, obviously, but yeah, you know, still going to work, thankfully, and but I was in the house mm-hmm. all the time with my wife and my kid and stuff, and um, and yeah, we just we we learned because we weren't always on the go, we were you know stuck in the house, so we we learned to communicate and really get along a lot better and and live together and. You know, just just patience in general, you know, was it was a big thing, and it was it feels pretty good to come out on the uh, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder about that a lot because like I've been extremely single throughout this, and um, there are of course positives and negatives to everything, but I have I have to wonder how many people are going to come out of this lockdown like i can't fucking wait to get out of that relationship well, like, I, i'm i'm still i'm still hanging out because like this is the person that i've got to hang out with but like as soon as i get that double vax and the world's open like i'm out yeah i mean well dude like i you know i i'm very lucky as well uh with kevin you know with, my wife is like one of my best friends man i mean she is you know she is my best yeah. friend she's all i got and you know there's a lot of people Be, i know he's in a pod you too he's in a pod uh there's a lot of people i know who went through this and could i mean this this was the worst case scenario for them you know to be trapped yeah, with right. a wife or somebody they truly you know lo- thought they loved and you know found out they didn't and uh it's Dude. it's a sad thing man you know this is, i'm sorry to, like that that is sad but i i've got a sort of a funny thing have you guys ever listened to the podcast dumb people town no <laughs> It's, Sounds uh, awesome. <laughs> it's this. It's the. It's the Sklar brothers. Uh, oh yeah, and, I know those guys. Um, yeah, those twins. Dan Van Kirk, who's another comedian who I actually really like, and they basically they have a guest on every week, and they they have people submit stories of just like typically people from Florida, frankly, just doing the dumbest shit, and they right. talk about it. Well, anyways, I'm I'm reminded of uh, I listened to one recently, and they were talking about this couple in the Ukraine who um, they're in their like they're very attractive couple, like late twenties, early thirties, whatever, and they were just like on this on on again off again, constantly breaking up thing and then they decided that um in in order to solve that issue rather than just like breaking up or or going to therapy or something like that they handcuffed themselves to each other for three months and they're like well if we can survive being handcuffed to each other for three months then we can survive anything wow are are you fucking that is the dumbest shit i've ever heard in my entire life first of all but also i don't believe it i don't believe that like how do you poop I don't like how, what do you do? Yeah. Do you just have to sit in the room while you sit there and like have a really terrible shit? I don't, that's not good for any relationship. I don't that's care. That's a good point. Are. They um, had that toilet on SNL. There was that, uh, his and hers. Toilet yes. I remember that. It was his and oh hers. Oh my God. And it, the backs faced each other. That. I remember. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I'm glad regardless, I'm glad that both of you folks with your happy relationships are still happy. And, and I hope <laughs> oh, that everybody thanks. listening to this who has a happy relationship is still happy as well. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just here. I'm, I'm all right. You're doing good. Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, just look out the summer world, Matt, one mask, no shirt <laughs> <laughs> and short shorts <laughs> and the yeah, shortest the shorts, shorts that have ever shorted yeah, we're going yeah, with we're the going. little piping around. That's yeah. right. All right. This is it. This is great. Kevin, let's take it back. I knew you, you already talked about your cool uncle with yeah. the guitar and everything. Where did you, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up here in Chicago, like up on the Northwest side in, in Edison park, Norwood park, Jefferson park kind of area. Cool. Got it. And, cool. uh, Yeah. And I moved out. You, yeah, you still up in that sort of general area now? Oh, I just bought a house in Portage Park. Oh, well, nice. Congratulations. Yeah, not too man. far. Right. Yeah, thanks. 
It moved all over the city. I mean, like all through the 90s, I lived pretty much every neighborhood, you know. Yeah. Kind of bounced yeah, around from Hyde Park all the way, you know, up to Wicker Park and Logan Square, Avondale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I kind of lived all I went, over. I went, to, I went to high school in Hyde Park. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, there you go. Uh, so obviously, you know, you got that Hondo, you're playing guitar. When did you, when did you like start playing with other people? Is that something that you did immediately or like, Oh, I've got to, I've got to start a band. Yeah, we had, we, we started playing pretty immediate. I mean, yeah, we were probably about 12 years old or so. And we thought that we can play like poison and turns out that (laughs) we couldn't play at all, you know? And then like, like, thankfully like around 14, like bands like Nirvana surfaced and we're like, Oh wait, we could actually play this. This is awesome. You know, (laughs) it started like, yeah doing like Nirvana covers and stuff like that. And it just kind of, I think like when I started playing guitar, it was like really at a bad time because it was uh, like people who were famous were like Eddie Van Halen and shit like that, you know? And right. I don't know anybody that can play like that. And I was just like, oh man, I nope. c- you can't instantly shred. Fuck this. And you kind of start turning towards like listening to like more like Neil Young and like more country-ish kind of or whatever, like mm-hmm. singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh wait, I could actually play this stuff. This is cooler anyways, you yeah. know? I don't know. But I, that's that's kind of how it the, shifted, you know. Yeah. So what was I guess you know what was it like that grunge stuff? Was it like punk? What was the kind of stuff that really grabbed you and and you're like this is my music. This is the stuff that that like I I'm I'm gonna make now. It was probably like the earlier like yeah probably like the punk kind of grunge stuff because I think the grunge yeah. stuff for me like led into uh, a lot of the punk stuff. I think I was around like 14 or 15 years old. Uh, one of my skateboard friends took me to um, the fireside for the first time. And oh, I yeah. just, I was like, holy shit, I'm home. This feels like home to me. This is amazing. <laughs> and it, like, dude, I don't, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just posted on Facebook recently. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Someone has taste is digitizing a bunch of old fireside shows no, and putting no, them on no YouTube. Way, now. Really? Yes. Oh, oh, dude, yeah. I posted it on my personal Facebook. That, yeah, it's dude. yeah. I haven't, I've only watched like, I don't know, maybe one, but it's, I mean, any of those bands from like mid early 90, late nineties that you, that you can think of that played fireside all the time. Wow, they've already started posting shows from that, which is cool. fucking wild. I had a lot but of those VHS yeah. tapes and I don't know what happened to them. Like I had like oblivion, 88 fingers, Louie, um, the traitors, yeah. all those bands were, all, I had videotapes oh, of all of them. They were great. Wow. But I don't know. What I, yeah, you gone. should you should you should get in contact. I was gonna say yeah, either find those or try to get in contact with because he might have them too. Yeah. Uh, so so you started doing like punk and that kind of stuff. What were some of the bands that you were? So I mean, you mentioned like Eighty Eight Fingers, Louis. What were some some of those early punk bands that you were really getting into? I think well, like for the time, I guess it was like Ob- yeah. Oblivion. I loved Oblivion, you know, um, and uh, probably like Bull Evils and stuff like that. And they mm-hmm. were. I was pretty young. But and the, those guys were like, it was it was weird to me because like I was like, wait a minute, these people are approachable and they're actually real people. And I started becoming friends with them and skating with them and stuff. You know, oh, wow. like it, it was just it was a cool scene. I think that whole fireside scene, like even like that band Slapstick. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of oh, yeah, Dan I, Andriano. Yeah, I dug all that stuff. You know, it was a lot of fun. But it, it was weird. Like at Fireside, I was there almost like from the first time I went there. I went there almost every day until I was like in my early twenties because I lived across the street and I was, it was, you know, kind of free or really cheap to get in. Right. And so I just, I didn't really, there wasn't really many specific bands that I really cared about that much. It was just like, I just loved the atmosphere and being there, you know? 
man, the fireside is such a, an interesting place. It's like, cause I mean, it's still there and, and you can, well, I guess, I don't know if you can go bowling right now, but like you theor- theoretically in normal times can still go bowling. And I feel like I have to imagine, and this is again, another fucking old guy yelling at the sky moment, but I have to imagine so many people, the majority of people going in there have no idea what that place was for such a long time and how important it was for the music scene in Chicago for Fucking, it was like huge. Decade. Yeah, it was all ages. And I mean, it was huge. It was the best. I mean, I always joke that it was like my dad, you know, so, like <laughs> I'd go there and and that's where like I learned everything, you know, a lot of stuff I know and like carried on through the rest of my life, you know, yeah. being around Man. all those people and seeing everything that absolutely you know it was pretty interesting i feel i feel lucky i i you know i'm a, i'm a little bit younger so i didn't start going until a little bit later and then by that by the time i was in like bands that would have been cool enough or good enough to play there it already had sort of ended and and like or was ending well anyway i i did get to play there like once or twice at the very end and it was like still sort of weird and sad because it was like shows weren't even supposed to be happening anymore but we took them because we like looked up to that establishment so much as a cool place um but it, you know it's funny too because like you know uh, hindsight being as it is w- these rose rose colored glasses whatever like you know it never really was like it didn't like sound good in there it was still just like a big reflective bowling alley yeah. but it was just like it the wildest craziest shit yeah it wasn't about yeah. the audio it was more just about the, the the vibe and the emotion I think the craziest show I ever saw there was um, Macabre played I think it was the day after Christmas and people got shoved up into the ceiling over the top of the stage and then the whole ceiling <laughs> fell down. And then they made Macabre, they, they stopped the show and then made Macabre pay $300 to repair the ceiling and kick them out. That was pretty amazing. That's that is fucking sick. amazing. Dude, I, I've, I think I've talked about it on the show before. The only time I've ever really felt like danger in my life at a show was seeing Dillinger escape plan at the fireside. I was just like, Oh, this shouldn't be happening here. Like this, there is just too much fucking insanity going on in this place. Like I'm, I need to back up. Some, yeah, it was always wild there. It was just so much fun. Oh, I don't know. It was so much fun. I, we need, we need the world needs a new fireside. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put that vibe out there. I think that um, would, uh, yeah. Revive like a lot of the music scene here. You know, like I, I know there, there is an okay music scene and stuff, but, I don't know where where do you even play? I mean, like before the pandemic, where where was a cool place to play besides like yeah, know, it, was empty the, bottle, yeah it was all the man. same spot, Mute, Beat Kitchen Mutiny. and Shuba's Empty Bottle, yeah. Mutiny's gone. Yeah, I mean, right. oh yeah, um, yeah, Quenchers is gone. So all right, so you're you're going to see all these shows. You're I, presumably you're starting to play shows and do all that stuff. Were you two questions? One. Were you always a gear guy? Because, you know, looking at your site and the fact that you have this studio now and everything, you're clearly a gear guy. And two, were you also already getting into recording at that point? You know, I, I've always been into recording. I've, I bought um, one of those, like, Porta 2, ta- you know, Tascam things. And I carried oh, yeah. it around with me in my backpack for probably since the time I was around 14 or 15. That's badass. I, and then, you know, um, I just it just kind of grew. I started liking that kind of stuff more and more, and, and got more into it. And yeah, I, I think and I, I have not always been a gear nerd. I always no. liked stuff. I mean, like my friends had stuff, and I was like, oh man, it'd be so cool if I can afford a Moog or like you know some cool pedals or a cool guitar. Sure. But um, I think what really sparked the uh, the gear stuff was that there was a there's a band from Chicago called the Safes. I don't know if you guys know them or not, but they're I have played with them before. Yeah, yeah. they're really they're really nice dudes. They're interesting dudes. They're smart and they're they're like insanely like talented. Frankie and Patrick are just they're like I don't know on uh, on another level. I think I started record. I got you know I went to this 
I was in this band um, called Days Off, and we went to this studio downtown, and we, you know, it was a friend of ours, and I had no idea like what he did for a living. We showed up at this place called I Dig Records, and uh, and I was like, holy shit, wow, this is like a real studio. He's like, oh, I'm like, I'm really into recording. I, I really want to like learn how to do it digitally. So he get me set me up with like a Digio One, the first Pro Tools, mm-hmm. you know. And then so I get everything set up at my house, and then the safes come over to record. And they bring, like, all these weird amplifiers. Like, oh, this one could only stay on for, like, four minutes because the tube's overheat and it starts to smoke. <laughs> and, like, it only sounds good with this Baldwin guitar. And, the, you know, they start – they have all this crazy stuff. It's all, and I was like, what the hell? I couldn't, I couldn't, like, get my brain wrapped around it that, like, certain guitars match with certain amps and all this different sure, stuff. Yeah. They brought over all these microphones, and I was like, holy shit. And I, it just, like, took over my world. And I, I – I don't know. Every dollar I got, I would like spend it before I got it trying to buy, you know, just anything, anything with tubes in it and anything like pre seventies, like, Oh man, I got I got to buy it all. That's all. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, completely speaking obsessed. of stuff pre seventies, I mean, I've done a little bit of gear diving on your page and stuff. And then there's just some, some cool shit in there. And I want to ask, I know that you, that you, one of the sort of combinations that you've mentioned uh, on your page is this 59 melody maker that you have with, I think, is it a Princeton? Um, what's oh. up? What's going on with that? Oh, I saw, I actually, I traded that 59 melody maker. I really, I love those melody makers. I, I don't know. They're, they're cool guitars. Cause they have that big honking neck and I love, I love a fat neck and kind of wide, um, but that guitar just didn't, and they really... feel wide too because it's short scale. So it's like, oh it's no, it's full scale. Like squat. The melody maker's full scale. Yeah, really? they make I two. 20, I thought it was like twenty four inch. Oh, okay. No, they make two: the full scale and the three quarter scale. Got okay. it. Okay. Um, and uh, so, so then, yeah. what's the difference between a melody maker and a junior? Oh, uh, the thickness of the body. Oh, really? yeah. Okay. Like a, uh, it is like that skinnier body on the. Melody yeah, maker. it's only like an inch and a quarter thick when like uh, or something around there, and then the um, the. Junior is like whatever it is, like a Les Paul, like two inches thick. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow, but, all right. I did not realize that there were full scale melody makers. Look at that. The, yeah, actually, at Midwest Buy and Sell, actually. yeah, at, at Midwest Buy and Sell, they po- he Wayne posted a um, uh, what's it called? A Blue Boy Rickenbacker six twenty Blue Boy, which is mm-hmm. like extremely rare. I don't know if you know anything yeah. about those Blue Boys. I think they only mm-hmm. made like two hundred of like ten of each model or twenty of each model or something. Okay. And he posted wow. it, so I took that melody maker and like a. 65 uh what's that called the olympic and i traded those guitars for for that blue boy because it's kind of rare but i don't know i've been getting really yeah i've been getting really into like rickenbackers lately even though they're like the most like non-player friendly guitar i think they suck to play he's not a fan of the rick i will no i'm a fan of the rick look i have played enough now to know that they just None of them feel good to me. They don't feel good, but if you ever like for recording purposes, you can nail any tone, and I don't care. You know, anybody could say whatever they want right. <laughs> or like disagree with me, but you yeah, plug it into any. Things. They they really man. They make the pedals function the way that they're supposed to because they're they're kind of like a lower output. And that's I, right. Yeah, yeah that's and they just they sound so good through pedals, and they oh, yeah. they they still have a little headroom. They leave a little headroom in the amp. So when you step on it, like, and you're playing a show, you can use a boost pedal, and it really actually boosts your amp. It's not – it's just – there's something about it's not Rickenbacker. Just distortion, yeah. yeah, there's something about a Rickenbacker that the, the sound of it is – It's I mean, that's so uh, – you can do anything with them, really. What model, what no, model actually, did you say the, the, the Blue Boy was? 620, it, right? A 620, yeah, and I have a 330 as well. 
Okay, yeah, I love the 330. That's- yeah. You know, it's funny you bring this up. I was actually just reading the new issue of Tape Off this morning, and there's an interview with, or was that in Tape Off? No, it was something else. I, I was reading an interview with Kevin Parker from Tame Impala, and he's like a well-known Rickenbacker lover. And he was talking about the same thing, how, you know, he ha- he'd been playing a Strat for a long time, and it was just like a very easy guitar to play, and it was fine. But then he picked up the Rick, and I was like, oh, I really hate how this feels, but it just sounds like I want, like it just does the thing that I want a guitar to do. So then that, like now he just only plays. I think it's, it might be a sixty-one, uh, yeah. Rick. They're That's incredible, like man. Like it, like with fuzz pedals and stuff like that, man. Mm-hmm. You'll never yeah, hear like a cooler tone. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I hate I hate that we're having this Henry, conversation because now I'm now like, all damn week it. he's gonna be texting me. Rick oh, you can God, borrow mine if you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, uh, do a fair uh, a temporary trade. You know, you yeah, trade. yeah. But yeah, that exactly. that that'd actually be a cool Dave's doc. You should check out the Rickenbacker documentary. It's it's Is a pretty there interesting. One? Yeah, there's I didn't one on know YouTube. That, man. They oh, have no uh, way. I think they only have like 18 employees or something. They still use the same templates and same like uh, color schemes and stuff, like or the same well, paint. Scott Scott Hall mixtures. Was, was he the guy? Uh, I think his name is Scott, Scott. The the wrestler? No, uh, no. Isn't that know. Razor Ramon? I, I don't. Or, I'm terrible with Diesel? names and and yeah. my memory's shot. Okay. Well, I do know that. Speaking of names, I mean people people are very divided on whether they say Rick and Bacher or Rick and Backer. Backer. No, they call it Backer. That? Yeah, on the on the documentary call, they call it Rick and. Are Backer. they British? Okay. No, no they're, they're a from California, California company, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. No, they call it backer. It's re- and, uh, yeah. Working at CME, uh, like most of the people called it backer, and I was just like, no. what? I've never. It's always been backer to me. Like yeah, that's just how I always Rick said it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, which is funny because I've got this fucking horrible Chicago accent that I make all the age hard, backer. anyways. Yeah. So I might as well make it backer, but like I'm like Brooke and Bacher. But I guess that is that is uh, yeah. It's, it's not a I CH, so I guess it maybe I don't know. Oh, that's yeah, I don't cool, know man. either. I do love Dude, those guitars, right. man. Yeah, yeah. Know. We've been talking. We've been talking about some of your guitars. I want to talk about. We we also have uh, in common this this uh, adoration, and it makes more sense now that you've talked about the P ninety uh, for the Gibson SG Classic oh, yeah. from the early to mid two thousands. Because uh, I too own one of those, and it, it is it will be my you know Viking funeral guitar. It's coming with me. Well, you're having one too. I keep telling my wife I want a Viking funeral, and she's like, I am not going to set you on fire. I don't think that's legal. <laughs> <laughs> But you're in the middle of a lake, so it'll yeah, be- so it's fine. The fire will go out eventually. I'll sink, and everything will be good. Yeah, <laughs> I'll bring my SG with me to the underworld. It'll be yeah, perfect. Yeah. What yeah, is so? Tell me why? Why? I mean, I've talked a lot about why I love that guitar. What do you? What do you dig about that thing? I, what, what year is yours? I, I, real quick, so. Um, it's like 2005, five maybe? or six, right? Yeah, something it's about it's either yeah. 2005 or 2006. They didn't yeah. make them for that long. No, there's something about Gibson in 2006 that that just the necks were perfect. They had big frets on it, and it's just a cool. Get, it looks awesome with the binding and everything. It, you oh know. yeah, but it, it plays and sounds amazing. I mean, it's it's like the I don't know. It's the best. It's probably the easiest guitar that I have. You know, it's the easiest guitar to play, and it it, it works for pretty much anything I want. It does you know? so much. I actually I've yeah. done a bunch of stuff to that guitar uh, to make it a little bit more. I, I I was I was fighting putting a Bigsby on it for a long time, oh. worried that it would change it too much, and then I put it on, and it was like this is the best decision I've yeah. ever made. It was fucking awesome. I also I've replaced the bridge pickup and I put the uh, I did the like stupid Jimmy Page style wiring where I've got push pulls so I can do oh, phase and nice. uh, series parallel. Yeah. Hey, did you get yours, I actually Dave? wouldn't. Yeah, Dave no, needs to go man. with Dave. Oh, come on, man. Join the I'm club. I'm watching so many. I know. It's, you know. Dave uh, Dave is going to own an SG. I'm just telling you. It's going to happen. No, it's there. Yeah. I'm watching like 
four SGs on Reverb right now. They keep getting sold because they're excellent priced, and um, I don't know what to, I don't know what else to do. I think I do want a black one with gold hardware. I'm starting to oh, realize nice. that's definitely what I'm looking at. So you uh, want the, you want the custom? You want the tuxedo? I think so. Or or some well, then kind you, of, then you can ma- you can match my Les Paul then. Yeah, some exactly some kind of makeshift version of that. Um, I found a few standards in that range where they've replaced everything with gold hardware yeah. and that looks cool too. So I'm, I'm fine with that. And I'm trying to decide between P nineties and humbuckers right now, you know, um, Oh, go P 90. Mm-hmm. You could always we boost did re- your we signal did recording I with P nineties recently through a Vox, just, just P nineties Vox, no pedals. And it sounded amazing. Dude, yeah, that's going to That's a great rig. Yeah. Oh, I use that, that setup for a long time. I love, I, yeah. I have one of those heritage of uh, AC thirties, the hand wired, yep, the, the hand first wired. edition. Yeah. With the EF86 a, circuit, yeah, it's awesome. With the P90, we've actually you can't got a cheaper it. a cheaper option. We've got a, a CC2, which is like the Chinese model, but it's one of the yeah, early. That ones. thing sounds really fucking. It's, but they're awesome. And yeah, he's I have replaced one of those like too, yeah. Both of the they're speakers great. have been replaced. Um, but it sounds. I, I'm telling you, like I I would put it up against any Amer uh, any UK made Vox ever. You yeah. know, and and you know, AB those and see which one actually sounds quote unquote better. Oh, our our good our good buddy Balthazar agrees. So we he and I have talked a lot about those Korg era. Yeah, of AC30s, yeah, exactly. and just like how you can get them for a de- very decent Five, price, and bucks, they sound and fucking yeah. great. Yeah, it's heavy. I mean, you know, there's no getting. Well, around they're ninety that, pounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's whatever. no getting around. You know, having your band speaking mate. of, I, I I don't know if I should if I should scoop this if anybody's listening this Ooh. late, but um, Balthazar is making his own sort of take on an AC30 type thing, and I and then I jokingly told him to put the. I was like, well, are you going to at least put the straps, the the handles, in like a super inconvenient place for us to still carry? Yeah, He's like, right. oh yeah, there'll be there'll be plenty of inconvenient carry handles. Don't worry about <laughs> it that. It comes with a back brace. <laughs> Yeah, right. Do all right. So we're 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 jumping all over the place here. Um, <laughs> a couple things I do want to get to really fast. So I mean, obviously you've got this commercial facility now, uphill recording, and I know that for a while you were sort of doing it more, maybe for like even a decade, right? You were kind of doing it as more of like an at home kind of thing, right? So yeah. I'm curious at what sort of drove the move from from the at home to a more sort of professional commercial space, and kind of like what are some of the things that you've learned or maybe didn't expect from that. Um, I think, yeah, what, what drove it out of my, my attic was my neighbors pretty much, you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's and, and like, story. yeah, I mean, it just started as like, I was kind of doing more of like a hobby thing, you know, like hanging out with my friends and my band and we would record from time to time. Yeah. And, uh, and then it started like, we're like, oh man, the neighbors are complaining. People are starting to talk. And I was like, oh, whatever. I found this place down the street from my old house and, and it was a perfect spot you know it's like almost 2000 square feet it's like a about a 500 foot uh square foot control room and live room and then there's a couple little rooms in the kitchen and some hallways with oh, cool. echo and you know um but yeah as I, I just moved I, the price was right and i brought a drum and a bass up there and played it in the room to see how it sounded and, right. and i was like all right yeah perfect i mean the price is exactly so it was more like just going to be a clubhouse when when i first got it and it was kind of a continuation of my attic. And then people started calling me and like, hey, we heard what you did. Uh, can, can you record our band? And it just kind of blossomed from there, you know. It was. Well, that's, a, that's the best way to do it. You're, you're letting the, the need drive the, the, the function rather than just like trying to, tr- trying to force the fact that you have a studio on the world. People wanted to work with you and now you've got a, a space to work with them. Right? Yeah. What's yeah, the, what is the name? What is uphill? What is, why is it uphill? What's, well, what's, I'm afraid what's to tell you because I think you, you, earlier in this episode, you, uh, you made fun of asking a child for a name for something. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
no. Is it? Is it? So was the first one Juju B recording? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah. I, I don't. Um, Juju my, Hounds, Henry. My, yeah, my I, face. I'm is, very uh, well aware of what the real name is, and I'm going to oh, stick gotcha. with mine. Yeah, Fair my enough. face is so red now. Which too bad you guys can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. I. I when I used to come here with my daughter and she, she would complain about it and she's like, oh man, we got to walk all the way uphill because there's, there's like a hill that's probably 10 feet <laughs> mm-hmm. and we'd have to walk up it and she was only like two years old and she would complain yeah. about Ch- Chicago, not a mount, not a mountainous no, city. No, it's pretty flat. Yeah. And then that's how I was like, trying to think of a name and she's like, yeah. we got to go to the up, uphill studio and I was like, I kind of like that. It's not that bad. See, yeah. that's actually great. I really yeah. like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, man. it's funny. I dig it. Yeah. And and in uphill, I know that you have a Neotech console. I would like to mm. hear a bit about that. Tell us, tell us how that came about oh. and why you sort of chose that one and what's going on with it. Well, there's a pretty long story, I guess. It, it could be a long story. It's a uh, um, actually I <laughs> I got a phone call from Steve Albini one day. And I was just, wondering if yeah, it had something yeah. to do with Albini. Well, it was it was kind of funny because like so he called. About that. Well, it's yeah, it's a funny thing. He called me. Was, I was playing baseball. Um, <laughs> really veering off here. I was playing baseball with a group of people, and Bob Weston was one of those people that I was playing uh-huh. baseball with. And he knew I did heating and air conditioning for a living, so he's like, "Hey, can you come to my studio and um, straighten up my air conditioning? It's not working." So I fixed his. Then, so that's Chicago Mastering? Yeah, yeah, Chicago Mastering, right. And then so um, like a couple of weeks later, it was like the dead middle of the summer, super, super hot outside. And I get this call. It's like, hi, this is Steve Albini. And I thought, you know, it was one of my friends pranking me. I was like, whore, whore, exactly. you know? And I was like, fuck off, man. And I like hung up the phone on him. And he calls back and he's like, Hey, hey, don't hang up. Yeah, hey, Bob Weston. And I was like, oh, shit. And, like, you know, like, <laughs> I didn't think Steve Albini is, like, a real person. You know, in my mind, I just think yeah, he's, right. like, this, he's like, legend. living legend. Yeah, you know. And so he's like, hey, I heard that, you know, uh, you know how to fix air conditioning. Bob told me a lot about you and said that you're, you know, fair or whatever. He's just being a nice guy, you know. And mm-hmm. so I showed up and his... Uh, <laughs> His air conditioning, he, it was, he, the guy that was there before him told him he needed a new one. It's going to be, you know, upwards of 25000 something crazy, whatever. This is going to be this crazy expensive repair. He's got to get a new unit, and I fixed uh-huh. it. And I uh, was like, he's like, what do I owe you? I'm like, I don't know, $100. Or, or, or wait, wait, hold on. Could I, like, intern under you for, like, a couple <laughs> sessions? And he's like, you just saved me, like, a crazy amount of money, like, months worth of, you know, whatever. So I was like, he's like, yeah, you can sit in totally. It's fucking great. And he gave me a hug. That's awesome. And I was kind of shitting in my pants because I was like, wait, this dude, like, I still don't believe he's real, even though he's standing in front of me talking to me. Anyways, so I start, I was was sitting in the studio with him. And, of course, like, because I was a gear dork, you know, like, I'm going through taking, like, uh, looking on eBay and all this stuff of every piece of gear. And I was talking to him about, um, you know, what kind of console should I get, blah, blah, blah. And then he, was, he said Neotech was, he's like, oh, they're the greatest consoles ever made. And they're affordable and all this stuff. Don't buy into the hype of APIs and Neves and SSLs and all that other wow. stuff. And, like, he said that the other thing, too, about, like, repairing Neotechs, they're very short uh, signal pass. So they sound mm-hmm. good. And they're really, like, the earlier ones, like mine, a Series 2. They're really crude and they're like easy to repair and stuff. So I, I jumped on board. Do the, and, uh, are the, uh, are the imports, uh, the inputs transformerless? Yeah. Every, there's no transformers in the console. Right. Yeah. And it's inline, which is nice too. So you can, you know, use the preamp and the EQs and still monitor on the same channel during recording. Exactly. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, obviously if you're, if you're doing 
even a hybrid setup, but doing stuff with analog, you're going to have to do that. So, so, so Steve basically was like, you need to get a Neotech and that's just how it happened. Yeah. And then, you know, it was funny cause I called, I, I found some Neotech modules, some series two modules on eBay and I emailed the guy and it ended up being Mike from Neotech that Mike Stosha, <laughs> he owned it. And he's like, actually I have the whole console if you want it. And I was like, oh no shit. So I went to his place out in Palatine and the console was sitting in his machine shop, just like covered in grease and shavings and all oh kinds my of God. stuff. And it was missing. It's it's a 36. It has space for 36 channels, but it only had 16 channels in it. And like, I didn't really know anything about consoles and all that stuff at the time. And I was like, yeah, I'll take it, man. And he's like, oh, are you sure? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So I had to like rebuild the whole thing. I mean, it's completely rewired. And I didn't know anything about really like, I mean, I know kind of about electronics, like signal goes in, it has to come out, right? I mean, that's what Mike told me about, you know, when I was going to buy the console. And uh, I was like, I don't know where to begin to fix it. And that, that was the exact thing he said. Signal goes in, signal has to come out. I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> Simple as that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, sounds easy. Great. And I was just, you know, all wide-eyed because this console sitting in front of me. And I didn't see it any went, of How it. long ago was that? Uh, probably like... 13 years ago or so 10 so this so you move that into your into your attic before you ever even moved into the space yeah it was a real pain yeah yeah holy shit oh my (laughs) god yeah i had to tear down the railings tear out cabinets and like go around yeah yeah weird staircase in the back and go around three turns to get up to the top floor (laughs) yeah it was terrible and it weighs like a probably like 300 pounds you know so i had like four people helping me and yeah just a chassis right yeah yeah i mean the modules don't weigh that much you know Okay. Yeah. So, well, but, I guess, and especially if there's no transformers, that's a lot of the weight right there yeah, too. Yeah. The wiring and the and the frame is what weighs so much. But yeah. Damn. So I started tearing the thing apart and just doing one channel at a time, and I'd keep one yeah. stock and then work on one, and then start testing. And Mike gave me all the testing equipment, you know, like the power supplies and and like the oscilloscopes and all that stuff to test it and that's signal awesome. generators. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So. But then I, I thought, you know, because I always see Neotech on, on eBay and Craigslist and stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, it'll be no problem to get these other 24 channels because they're always – but I didn't realize that there's, like, different series, you know, 1, 2, and 3, mm-hmm. and 1E, e, 2, you know, all the different numbers and stuff. But eventually I found it and filled it out to 30 ch- – all, all I found all the other modules and filled it out to 30 channels. And, yeah, that was kind of – it was it, – it's a really cool console, I think. It's just very it's it's easy to repair. I mean, if anything ever goes wrong, but it's pretty pretty reliable, pretty consistent, and it's just and, it's and just you nice. have that set up in in line, right? So you can <clears throat> go. So you're you're working both in in analog and in, in tape and in Pro Tools, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. I, you know, as we're talking about this, and obviously, like you know, buying a first console is like that's, oh, a, that's huge a huge leap. Huge stuff. It was terrifying. And a, and a major thing. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, if someone's thinking like, okay, I'm listening to this and I'm doing some work, I'm recording already, I'm doing in in the box. Like maybe they're not thinking that they wanna get a console. Maybe they are. But if if you if you if someone comes to you and is like, hey, I've got like got some microphones and I've got some ideas and I've got an interface and I, and I want to like think about maybe bringing a little bit of outboard into my, into my world. Where would you, where would you lead them? What kind of pieces might you tell someone either specifically or even just like by type of gear uh, for someone trying to bring a little bit more outboard love into their digital sort of recording world? I mean, the, probably just like the, uh, the industry standard stuff, probably like a distressor it's yeah. kind of a cool thing. Maybe like uh, some version of 1176 or LA-2A or something. It's kind of cool so too. Com- compression. Yeah, some compression. But a lot of things is, 
I don't know, maybe EQs too. EQs are pretty fun. Like I have one of those Harrison, uh, what I don't remember the number on it, but uh, the Harrison EQ, which man, I think the one is, that the Universal Audio has a like version of. Yeah, it's like the H32 or something like that. I yeah, can't totally. But uh, that that is the best kick drum EQ I, I've ever found. You know, it's it's amazing. It's great. It's so just, you, you for something like that, you tend to like find the best sound with it, and then just that's its job. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, all my gear, like it's just, that's it, each one kind of has a specific job. Sometimes, mm-hmm. and if like a the band is, you know, of course there's always like one, uh, you know, I'm putting air quotes right now. I'll probably do three for irony or something. But uh, yeah, they uh, they always have like a thing like, oh, I saw you have an API EQ that has to go on the guitar. It's like, well, I don't really use it on guitar. I use it on Bass like or, snares, yeah, or yeah, snares, like you said, there's no rules, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. So sometimes I just do, you know, we'll go off the suggestions of the band because, I, yeah, of course, right. you want them to be happy and stuff, you know. Because uh, they saw a YouTube video. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes it, you like you. I don't know. It's cool sometimes when other bands come in that somebody might know something or saw something. You could, you know, you learn a lot of cool stuff from. You know, totally, just, yeah, yeah, for sure. Being open, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Love yeah, that. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. One know. one thing. So okay. So I, 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 my brain was thinking distressor as well, but like because the only reason I would almost sort of not suggest it is because the while the distressor can do literally anything that you'd basically ever want out of a compressor, that might like an LA two A just has two knobs, so it's sort of like maybe that's a way to go, but it also is a little more limited in what it what it does. I guess yeah, or eleven seventy six or something. I think I yeah. you know um, I love those. I think I use them on everything all the time. Mm-hmm. I put on guitars and I don't know. It just brings it brings the guitar forward in the mix and it makes it just sound really tough. You know, I, I, I absolutely yeah very tough yeah so all right so we've been talking for a long time kind of flew by here Um, but one thing before before we before we wrap here i I just want to say one thing i noticed on the uphill uh, recording service website that i thought was really cool and and i've noticed and it might be i guess maybe it's just sort of philosophical things i wanted to ask you about it and there was a quote on there and it said we will have microphones in place and line checks completed upon your arrival and i feel like that is awesome because There, so many times I've been in recording situations where I've shown up and then it's just like a, an empty room and then you spend at yep. least half the day. first day or the whole day. Yeah, right. Just kind of getting set up and getting your stuff up. So like what what was it that drove that? Like why do why this like very specific we have microphones in place and line checks complete upon your arrival? Oh, I think that's a lie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, it's not, you know, um, I was doing that for a long time just because like bands, uh, I do like, I book in four hour blocks, you know? And so uh-huh. like a band would come in and be like, oh, well, it took you 25 minutes to set up all the microphones and plug it in. So that doesn't count on our time. But I mean, there's like a two sides of that, you know, it's like, well, you yeah, didn't, you, you didn't right. want, if you want to use all my equipment, and I'll have all my drums and everything tuned. You tell me what amps you want to use. I'll have everything set up. So all you have to do is walk in and play. You know, cool. Right. Um, I love that. But if, if uh, people want to bring their own stuff, like I, I do think that is part of the setup. I mean, I think that is, you know, uh, they, they, that, that's part of their time, you know. It is. And, yeah, and if they're dicking around like, hey, I got to smoke a joint before, like, I set up my drums or, or I got I to gotta go right. – uh, go to the liquor store before I, uh, you know, pr- plug in my guitar and tune it. It's like, well, this is your time, I, you know? And I don't That's know, right. like a lot of people, there was a, a time where early on when I got here and I didn't really have uh, very clear rules and stuff like that, people would try to take advantage of that stuff and, yeah. you know, sure. not want to pay. Your t- and, and that's technically your time. 
because you yeah right exactly working for them yeah absolutely yeah and so I guess I mean to me it sounds like that it's just all about communication then it's like well here's the policy laid out up front here's what it's going to be yeah because you're right yeah there there I've I've seen that as well but also it's nice to know that you're not going to show up and then spend you know if in a four hour block you're not going to spend two well, hours I, of that I was going to say like as out. a as, as, as somebody who's worked in studios where we've brought our own gear and then as somebody who's worked in studios where they've already had a drum set set up for my band to come play on and like all my drummer has to do is adjust the hi-hat and adjust a couple things so yeah. he's comfortable and you've got it mic'd exactly where you know it's going to sound best, that's the best case scenario. That's why you go to a studio in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I, nor, normally I have all the mics on stands. I know like what I, I've like mm-hmm. seen the band play before. I kind of know what they have. I know what they're bringing um, and I'll have the mics on stands and in the room with cables on them and stuff. So all I have to do is just plug them into the, um, into yeah. the snake. You're and, not and walking back and forth from the mic locker, finding yeah. the stands, right. getting the cables. It's like, shit's just like live, ready I mean, to go. He's got plugs. It's all ready. Been, yeah. I've, I've been, you know, uh, you know, we, we did a recording where it was like three days for this price. And the entire first day was setting up drum mics and I'm not going to yeah. say who the studio was, but like that was. That's to me, fun. that was a ripoff, you know, because yeah. it was like, hey, man, we were ready to come in and record. And now we have to, you know, no one's no one's running a liquor store and stuff like that. We have to sit there and wait for you to, like, test each Tom and, like, make sure the drum mics are good and switch them out. You know, so I, I could get where that, you know, where they're coming from as the band. Yeah. Too. Like the whole thing here, I like, you know, like I, I record, obviously, like, it's all like independent bands and stuff like that that don't really have backing sure. and money and stuff. So I like to try to give them everything that you know like just make it as efficient as possible oh yeah and you know i have a plan when i come in so i already know what i'm doing and and so basically all they have to do is come in and play and not think i don't want the bands to worry or think that this isn't you know uh, they don't they just don't have to think about anything except playing their songs and be comfortable and like when i set up this place like i said it was supposed to be like a clubhouse and so like that's kind of the vibe and the feeling i want you to come in and take your shoes off and just relax and and enjoy yourself like not worry or not and i don't want it to feel like a sterile place and like that you can't touch anything or get too close to the gear like it's all hands-on everybody in let's let's have fun you know make the i love that and that is nice creative space yeah and and i can think of no more perfect place for us to leave this episode uh kevin i can't imagine anybody listening to this and not wanting to work with you now so tell the folks listening uh who've made it this far where should they go on the internet uh if they want to find out more about you and your studio and working together um, you probably you go on Facebook and uphill recording services or Instagram. Instagram's probably the best place to get a hold of me if you want. Or I mean, sure. you could just type in my name and it's there it'll come right up. <laughs> there it is. It's or, a, it's a it's yeah. a very good unique name there. Yeah, uphill recording services too. Uphill, uphill recording services at gmail.com is an easy way. Perfect. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. It's thank been you, a pleasure to have you on. Uh, you know, we yeah, could have kept going for another couple hours. I know, I know. you've got a session to, to get to. Oh, but yeah. um, thanks again, man. And honestly, you know, as soon as the world is back to us doing stuff again, I can't wait to I've got to come. I've got to come check out the studio. It's, yeah, I want to check out yours, too. Yeah. You, got, it was, you said it was Phantom Manor, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm yeah. in that old space. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. I definitely want to check yeah, it so, out. Plenty of uh, plenty of uh, printing fumes from the print shop below. <laughs> nice, sounds Getting good. Nice cheap high. Hell yeah! All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for making it this far. Uh, and now I'm just going to tell you, go make some music. <laughs>